Self-Help SatNav is brought to you by Open Forwards. Did you know that you can get free training to help you relax and feel more confident? Just head on over to www.openforwards.com. That's www.openforwards.com. Episode 19 of Self-Help Sat-Nav. I'm your host, Jim Lucas. And while I'm not recording podcasts, I'm busily building a business designed to help you work, love, play and feel better. I like doing other things, of course. In fact, I recently joined the University Sports Centre, which has a 50 metre swimming pool. Now, I haven't always been a good swimmer. And Well, probably not that good now, but growing up, I used to get a lot of ear infections. And despite having an outdoor pool at our primary school, we were lucky enough to have one of those, I just didn't get much practice in. Subsequently, I've never felt that confident in the water. I guess a bit like the smoker who gets out of breath running for the bus, I could never manage to swim very far without feeling like I was going to kill over. And of course, when you're in the pool, you don't want to do that. But some years ago, I decided to do something about that. I started to face my fear of swimming. You see, I wanted to get better at it because I love swimming outdoors in particular. I love the adventure of it. I like getting in the sea. I like getting in rivers. I like getting in lakes. And I love the feeling of being in cold water, which shoots through you and energizes your body and clears your head. But truth was that I was scared of swimming in seas and in large lakes. I still am. But I try to overcome it. For years I didn't, of course. I just avoided it. I let my fears and my worries get the better of me. But now I've learned how to do something really useful. I've learned how to unhook from my fears so that I don't become a slave to them. Now, this isn't always successful. Sometimes I do. But with these tools to unhook from my fears and my thoughts, I'm getting better at it. And that's what I want to share with you today. I want to share with you how to take the power out of your own thoughts when your thoughts stop you from experiencing as much as you can from life. So you may be aware that I've put together a membership site called Self-Help School. It's got courses, monthly coaching Q&A sessions, private forums and expert guides. And the flagship course on this educational program is a course called Fine-Tune Your Stress Management Skills. It's designed to teach you how to handle your stress like a pro. And the course focuses on teaching you these proven methods for coping better with the effects of stress at work. Because when you're busy providing a service to people, it's often a mixed blessing. You know, on the one hand, you get to do what you love. You're contributing to society by caring for people or teaching them. But on the other hand, there's never enough time or resources to help everyone. 
And the risks are, as you invest so much in looking after people, that you burn out. And your health and your relationships and your personal life starts to suffer. And that's what self-help school is there to fix or to remedy. And I recently got some feedback from one member who's working her way through the lessons of this course. And she had something fantastic to say about one of the lessons. She described it as a corker. And so, given that, given that she found it so useful, I thought, why not share this lesson with you today in this episode of Self-Help Satnav? Because this particular lesson is full of useful self-help that fits the four key yardsticks of of effective self-help. And you may remember that I talked about these way back in episode one last year. And just as a reminder, these four key yardsticks of effective self-help are number one making sure that what you're doing for yourself has some evidence behind it that it's got some science in it that it's not just well-meaning you know kind of good ideas opinions on on what kind of works but rather if you're going to invest your time and energy in something you want to know that it there's actually some proof behind it that it's helped people and today's lesson has that Two, that also in what we're doing, that we acknowledge that life is painful. That feelings show up and can make things difficult. And this is important. There is self-help help there that doesn't do this. That, you know, tries to make things kind of rosy. Tries to sort of... Doesn't really engage with that things are difficult. It tries to be sort of too, too new age, too positive. And so that doesn't really work because it's not really based in reality. So number two is making sure that we acknowledge just how difficult life can be. Number three is that self-help actually helps you implement some useful tools, helps you take some actions rather than just reading something or listening to a podcast show. They actually go forwards and do something and practice something that is going to change something. And that for that, we acknowledge that you will have setbacks. That just because you learn a tool and you start practicing it, that, that doesn't kind of erase the problem or guarantee that you won't have setbacks. But so being aware of that and kind of building that into your practice and um, thinking about kind of how you deal with that when that's happening. So I'm going to try and make sure that I'm addressing all four of those key yardsticks for effective self-help in this lesson. And so this lesson is all about taking the power out of your thoughts. It's about a skill, an important mindfulness skill, an important behavioural skill, which is about how not to react to your thoughts when they show up. Because the trouble is, we can react too much to them. When those thoughts, those fears get really close, or they start threatening to get closer, naturally we react to them. Your mind pulls you in, trying to push away those thoughts, or trying to fix them in some way. And that often makes things worse. So it's about learning to be less reactive, so that you can become more composed, so that you can build that composure for yourself. Now, one of my great heroes 
is not someone that I've met personally, but someone that you will know, Nelson Mandela. And many years ago, he wrote a book called A Long Walk to Freedom. It was all about his life. It was his biography. And if you've not read it, I, I highly recommend it. Um, it's been some time since I read it, but there's like the essence of kind of like how that book stays in my memory. It's something about his courage. And he talks about being really afraid at times of his captors. But it was important that he didn't show that fear to them. He wasn't just sort of gritting his teeth and bearing it, but he was making space for some of that fear and trying to be courageous in the face of that fear. And so he makes an important point that courage is not the absence of fear, but that courage is something that you do and helps you triumph over it. That's not the absence of fear. Being brave is not not being scared. It's about doing something when you're scared because it has a bigger purpose, like claiming your freedom. So obviously, he was imprisoned in different places, and he was important to him to claim his freedom, you know, whilst he was there in that state. And um, his freedom was limited, of course, because he was imprisoned. And, and, and this is similar to what we're saying here, is that you can't be free completely from your thoughts. Like, you can't get rid of them. You can't throw them away. They're there. But you can make space for them. You can stand up in the face of them, act with courage and claim your freedom. And the benefits of this are brilliant. You know, what that does is it frees you up when you can unhook your thoughts from your thoughts and move towards a life that you want. Uh, what you're doing there is you're making choices. And noticing and being able to make choices is incredibly powerful. It gives you the power rather than letting the power stay within your thoughts. And it helps you also to transcend difficult feelings like guilt, like hurt, like fear, like anger. So you're kind of moving over these feelings rather than feeling like these feelings get on top of you. That's what kind of unhooking also helps you to do. It also helps you to be more cool-headed rather than this like specifically reactive way that I've been describing. And you can get peace of mind by learning how to stop struggle with painful memories of the past. So there are really are some proven benefits about kind of unhooking. And it taps into an important psychological process that I'm going to call openness. And openness is when you allow your thoughts and feelings to come closer when you allow yourself to experience them more fully now what we get stuck we struggle with stuff when we're doing one or two things when we're either putting a lot of effort into trying to push stuff away so we're trying to keep it too far away from us we're not letting it close enough or it gets too close and it's like we can't see the wood for the trees. So in that case, what we need to be able to do is put some space between us and our thoughts. Move them further away. And 
it's about making space for us and making space for those thoughts and feelings as well you know the example i gave earlier about swimming making space for the fear of drowning making space for the fear of something grabbing me from underneath the water because it's in the interest of something that i want to do and so within that what we're practicing being is non-reactive like i say Another way of saying that is learning to let your thoughts be. And learning to let your thoughts be with some kind of kindness and warmth. It's very easy to kind of get critical and harsh and annoyed with what your mind thinks, with the feelings that show up. You know, you feel like you're doing something wrong. You know, why do I still get anxious about this after all these years, your mind might say. But that that kind of relating to your own mind, where you get cheesed off with it tends to work against you but treating your mind as a friend rather than your enemy with kindness and warmth can help much more and when you're not doing this when you're battling with your thoughts it can feel like you're sort of wading through a swamp where you can't really lift your feet you can't really put one foot in front of another like the thoughts and the feelings and the physical sensations are really kind of pulling you down the quality of your energy and your experiences is heavy and swamp like swamp like and this kind of automatic fixing rationalizing reassurance seeking um, being logical being stoic can kind of dig you deeper in the hole a hole that feels like then it's more difficult to get out of So let's talk about something here called suppression, thought suppression, feeling suppression. This is when you naturally try to bury or push down what you're thinking and feeling. Like you don't want to have it. And this is natural, this is inevitable. It's kind of like the way the mind works. It's always kind of doing this thinking, this problem solving, processing information. And so naturally it tries to do this with unwanted thoughts and feelings. But... Whatever you do, like, I'm going to, well, let's do a test. Let's do a suppression test. I'm going to ask you to not think about something. I'm going to ask you not to think about a purple rabbit with big purple ears, big purple face, and big, soft, friendly eyes looking back at you. So whatever you do, do not imagine or think of this purple rabbit looking back at you. You can think about anything else. Even try and replace that image with, you know, something else. Maybe a green cat. Or maybe an orange elephant. But whatever you do, do not think about a purple rabbit. Get rid of that image now and for good. What happens? Well, like me, I'm talking about it. I'm guessing you can't stop thinking about it. It's in both our heads because I keep talking about it. And what this shows is that when we intentionally try not to think or feel something, what it does is two things. One is that it doesn't work, so we keep thinking about it. And the other is what 
laboratory experiments have shown us is that you end up thinking about it not just more often, but with more intensity. So it's kind of like you give, you feed it. You feed the thought and feeling that you don't want to think when you try not to think it. So suppression of thoughts and feelings doesn't work. And in fact, it makes it worse. It gives strength and power to the thoughts and feelings you want to avoid. And so unhooking tries to do something different with this. But it's not about trying to unhook yourself from thoughts with other thoughts. Because that doesn't really work either. Language has huge limitations. You know, try to describe the colour red without using the word red. It's kind of tricky, you know. You might say it's like dark pink or it's blood-like. But, you know, I might have had to have seen those things in order to kind of understand what you're describing. You know, if I was colour blind, if I couldn't see red, you might have a lot of trouble describing that colour to me. I mean, try this, try this example. You know, think about the answers to these questions. What colour are clouds? What colour are doctors' coats? What colour is most writing paper? What do cows drink? No, they don't drink milk. They drink water. See how your mind lets you down? Is that you then... This is What we're talking about here is something that researchers call derived relational responding is that your mind naturally forms links, relations between things. You know, white is like milk. Milk has a whiteness to it. And so you often think about cows and milk. And so white gets thrown in there as well. And, you know, and then you fall into that trap of thinking that cows drink milk. When they don't, they drink water. So language has limits. When you try to fix your thoughts and feelings with more words... It tends not to get you very far, tends to dig you deeper in that hole that I was talking about, tends to make you feel like you're wading through that swamp even more. Okay. So let's, I guess, there's a quick summary here. You know, what we're saying is suppression doesn't work. If your thoughts and feelings, it's a form of trying to avoid them. This is what your mind naturally is doing when it fixes. So, like one, let's move in to then some ways that you can unhook from your thoughts. Okay, but before we do that, let's take a quick break for this advert from Self Help School. Are you looking for ways to manage your stress like a pro? Open Forward Self Help School is an advanced training program, an online community designed to help you relax, have more fun and build your confidence. Inside, you'll get access to courses, coaching and members-only forums will help you address your concerns head-on and change your mindset so you can move forwards and take on new challenges. You don't need to keep struggling. It's just a matter of learning what you can do to change it. Join us and get 30 days risk-free. If you're not ecstatic about the value you get from your small investment, then we'll happily refund your initial payment and we'll never charge you again. Go to www.openforwards.com forward slash self-help school. Okay, welcome back. So I said that we would get into looking at how you can unhook from your thoughts. And I'm going to take you through some exercises 
here. But actually, something that you may have thought about or done before or had suggested to you before is just kind of writing down your thoughts. Some people do this anyway. They keep a diary. But, and that's fine. That can work really well. But I'm going to suggest something a bit more structured, a bit more specific here, is that you can write down thoughts that show up when you're feeling scared or when you're feeling angry or when you're feeling guilty about something. Is that when you intentionally write down your thoughts, you're doing that thing of bringing your thoughts closer to you. You're slowing down to notice them, to name them, rather than engaging in these automatic responses to fix them. You know, like, so one of the automatic responses I had to my fear of swimming was to avoid it, was to make excuses about why I didn't like swimming in uh, lakes and the sea. Um, instead of, you know, turning my attention to uh, strengthening my stroke, uh, being being bright, being, uh, not bright, being, um, being smart about when to swim in the sea and when not to. Having, uh, being smart about, you know, what's a sensible time of year or place to kind of swim in a lake. Um, so, yeah, bringing your thoughts closer. And I do this now. I bring my thoughts closer when I'm scared of different things or when I get caught up in different things. Bring my thoughts closer if I'm anxious about teaching that I'm going to do. Bring my thoughts closer if I'm anxious about talking to somebody, having a conversation with them. Because when I don't, I automatically do stuff that's about trying to fix it and doing stuff that just doesn't help me move my feet forwards. So writing down your thoughts can really help. Now let me take you through a couple of mindfulness exercises. This first one is called labelling your thoughts. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to share with you a thought, a judgment about me that sometimes shows up in my head. Um, I guess it can, it can show up in a variety of contexts, personal, professional as well. And that thought is that I'm lazy. Now, I'm not going to get into the truth of that because probably I could list a lot of things that would suggest that I am and a lot of things that suggest that I'm not. And then where does that leave me? Kind of maybe not that much forwards from where I am already or where I get to when I get stuck with it. But labelling does something different. This is a way of unhooking from that thought when it starts to cause problems. So what that involves is step one is saying the thought to myself, I am lazy. I am lazy. And then putting a prefix at the beginning of that thought so that what I can see in my head reads, I'm having the thought, I'm lazy. So as you can see, I'm labelling that thought. I'm labelling it as a thought distinguished from a feeling or a physical sensation. It's a thought. Therefore, I'm having the thought. I'm lazy. 
And this helps move me away from that thought. Put some space between it and me. Not to get rid of it, but just to unhook from it, to free me up a bit. And then I can add another prefix at the beginning, which says, I'm noticing, I'm having the thought, I'm lazing, I'm noticing, I'm having the thought, I'm lazy. So you try this exercise out on your own thoughts. You can try it with any thought. It's about just unhooking from them. And it's a good first step, learning to see you and your mind as different things, that your mind is just part of you, something inside of you that has thoughts. Your heart beats, your lungs breathe or move in and out, your mind minds, it thinks. So label these thoughts. Create some separation, some distance between you and what goes on in your head. So that's called labelling your thoughts. Second exercise I wanted to introduce you to is greeting your mind. Greeting your mind. That sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? But what do you do when you greet a person? Well, I think you welcome it. You welcome that person into your space. Or you enter into their space with the aim of getting on with them, with connecting with them, with being able to exist in the same space peacefully, friendlily, uh, to coexist. You share eye contact. You maybe engage a smile. So you're setting up a relation with that person that is greeting-like. And you may not always want to do that. You know, maybe someone comes into your space and you'd rather they weren't there. You'd rather be thinking about something else, focused on something else. You want to get on with something. And so at that place and time, you don't really want to greet them, but it'd be rude not to. And you may feel guilty about not doing that afterwards as well. And of course, they would might be upset by it as well. So... It doesn't really work to not greet people when they show up in your space. And it doesn't really work to not greet your mind when it shows up and intrudes on you or interferes with you. So greet it. Say, hello mind. Ah, hello mind. Hello old friend. A mentor of mine, Stephen Hayes, in the US is uh, you know, is a huge inspiration to, to me and to many other therapists and researchers um, kind of within the um, Association for Contextual Behavioural Science community that I'm part of. And, uh, and he, he talks about giving his mind a name. He calls it George. Because by personifying it in this way, he helps him to create some separation from it. And he gets it's, it begins, gives it a familiarity because... The sort of thoughts that will you'll get st- stuck with, hooked with, are the thoughts that come up again and again and again. And so, by saying, by giving it a name, you, you you give it a character, and the character tends to kind of behave in a in a way that's kind of familiar, doesn't it? So you know, whatever your mind kind of tends to repeat that gets on your nerves, that keeps you stuck, is is greet your mind, say, oh, hello, old friend, hello, George, or hello, whatever name you want to give it. 
Um, I don't give my mind a name, incidentally, but I, I tend to call it my mind. And I tend to bring that smile to my face that I would bring to, when I'm greeting somebody. That it softens, that it's welcoming. Try it. Try it out. Try it with your own mind. See what impact it has. Okay. Now let's, let's move into another exercise, which is about singing your thoughts. Now, uh, Lauren and Jonathan talked about this in uh, a couple of episodes ago when I was talking about educating your chi- uh, empowering your children and your students through education. Episode number 17, I believe it was. And uh, they talked about singing their thoughts. And um, it's, this is a technique I've been familiar with, but I, you know, I didn't do it that much. But since talking to them, I tend to do it a lot more, and I find it pretty useful. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Let's let's go with let's go with this thought. I'm lazy, I'm a lazy person, and and I'm going to bring in a, a tune, a kind of tune that I associate as being like sort of light, playful. See if you recognise it. I'm a lazy person. I'm a lazy person. I'm a lazy. I'm a lazy. I'm a lazy person. Oh, I'm a lazy person. Oh, I'm a lazy person. Oh, I'm a lazy person. Get the tune? Yeah, you got it. Love me do the Beatles. And, you know, what did you notice here about, like, what happened to those words? Like, it kind of changed for me. And... This is what happens like when you sing your thoughts to yourself is that by changing the context, by putting it within a melody that's kind of something that you like, you change the impact of the thoughts. It takes that sting, that power out of it. And it's not about ridiculing your mind. I'm not trying to minimize or dismiss kind of like the sort of distress, the problems that these thoughts can cause it's really just about being pragmatic it's about trying to do something and trying to change the impact of it and you know and singing is you know pretty kind of playful in that way try it out see what impact it has for you okay and one last exercise that i'm going to share with you is uh kitchener's word repetition exercise and this exercise is at least a hundred years old And what this exercise is about is, again, is about unhooking. It's about interrupting that network of derived relational responding that I was talking about, where words just kind of knit themselves together. And I got you to think, didn't I, earlier about, you know, what cows drink? Well, yeah, they drink water, they're not milk. But let's take that word, milk. Imagine milk in your mind. Milk. Milk. And notice what else shows up for you in your head when you think about this thing. Milk. Okay, thinking of white, thinking of creamy, maybe thinking of cups of tea, maybe thinking of breakfast cereal. Whatever you're thinking of. 
Just kind of being aware of and noticing that when you say that word, it also relates to other things. It relates to things as being similar or part of it or the same as or different to. These are what we call relational frames, how something is related to something else. Now let's do something. We're going to repeat this word and I'm going to ask you to repeat it along with me at the same volume and at the same pitch and at the same uh, tone, if you like, to how I'm saying it. And we're going to do it just for 20 seconds. 20 to 30 seconds is all you need to get the effect out of this exercise that you're looking for. Okay, ready? Milk, 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 now, to be honest, I lost track of time there, but it felt like about 20 seconds. And also it felt like the effect was happening, which was that that word just began to disappear, as did all those relational frames, all those other things that kind of get linked, related to the word milk. Now, this is useful in terms of your own language that gets you stuck, because you know, take that thought, I'm lazy, I'm a lazy person. There might be other things that kind of show up for me when I think about that word, like, I'm a bad person, or I'm a selfish person, I'm lazy, I'm bad, I'm selfish, I'm no good, you know, why do I deserve anything, um, why would people like me, want to spend time with me, take, you know, I'm just, I'm just thinking this stuff off the top of my head, quite, it's very easy to do, that one, that one thought shows up, that it can just spiral into these other sub-thoughts, I guess that, you're, you notice that in your own experience as well, is that, and this is, these thoughts are problematic, aren't they, because they don't steer you anywhere good, so the thought shows up, this is what happens, the thought shows up, and then you get locked into digging around with that thought, thinking about how it's like other things. I'm lazy, it's like I'm selfish, it's like I'm bad, it's like I'm no good, in that example. So instead of spending that time in that snowball, is take a step back from it. Repeat that word over to yourself. Lazy, 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 lazy. And notice that it changes the impact. Cool. Thanks for sticking with me here. I hope you found that really useful. We've done four exercises. Labeling your thoughts. I'm having the thought. I'm noticing I'm having the thought. We've done greeting your mind, welcoming it, smiling with it, treating your mind as your friend, not your enemy. Singing your thoughts to bring some humour and some play and some music into what's going on, to change the impact, to take the sting out of them. And repeating the word over and over, faster and faster, until all the other things that it can make you think of disappear. And... 
doing all of these thought exercises to help you then move towards what it is that you want to do to help you get the most out of life like the adventure the taking care of yourself like I was talking about in swimming or whatever you know your thoughts are stopping you from doing okay so let's let's just summarize this letting be skills about being non-reactive it's a mindfulness skill Incidentally, it's a mindfulness skill that you won't get taught in traditional mindfulness courses. They do, in traditional eight-week courses, they do do mindfulness of attention. They do do mindfulness of body. They do do mindfulness of thoughts and feelings, but in a different way. And that's because it's not based on this relational frame theory that I've been talking about, which is the study of behavior of human language in a psychological and a functional contextual philosophical framework. Instead, you can read an article in New Scientist, written by three fine fellows. Three fine fellows called Freddie Jackson, Nick, Nick Hooper, and Duncan Gillard. Um, yeah, really recommend that you go and read that article if you want to learn more about the basics of relational frame theory, what I'm talking about here. That was an issue that came out in... Uh, where did that come out? It came out in June, I believe, so... Uh, you can go back and track that. And so this unhooking, based on relational frame theory, is different to challenging your thoughts. It's not arguing with them or rationalizing with them, but unhooking for them so that you can make a choice to do what matters. For me, swimming is about taking care of myself. It's about adventure. It's about learning. It's about strengthening. These are the values that make my life better. Well, some of them at least, anyway. So even mine, even though my mind hooks me in and tries to steer me in the opposite direction, I try to move towards what I want. And hopefully you can use these techniques too to help you do the same. I do really hope you've enjoyed something useful from this episode. Please go over to iTunes and leave a rating and a review so that other people can find it more easily. Take care and look out for episode number 20 coming out on October See you then. Bye.